If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're looking at several verses in John 6, but we're going to start by looking at verses 29 through 30 here in just a moment. And we're going to ask the question, would you believe a miracle? If you saw a miracle before your very eyes, is it something you would believe in or would you downplay it, try to rationalize it? Would it push you towards faith in God or would it make you skeptic of something strange and pseudoscience? Well, we're going to look at miracles this morning. In John chapter 6, there's actually a, quite a, a bit that we could discuss about Jesus being the bread of life. And, and there'll be a future sermon at some point about that in particular. But, but this morning, I want to focus our attention on the miracles of Christ and ask ourselves if, if we saw a miracle, would we believe it today? Maybe we can ask the question this way Does Jesus still perform miracles? I mean, like visual miracles that we can see. Not a, not a, through the, the hands of science and doctors they were healed. Not a, not a, we can explain it and the Lord has provided these ways because he heals in these ways and he does. Would you believe a genuine miracle if you saw it? I think we're quick to say in a church setting, of course we believe in miracles. Let me fast forward to the end of the sermon and let you know that Jesus does still do miracles today. I believe wholeheartedly that the miraculous still takes place. There are things that we cannot see and cannot fathom and cannot imagine that are otherworldly that God does, and He still does them today. But let me ask it in this way. When you've heard people talk about miracles, have you believed that those miracles were true, or have you thought the person crazy? I think a lot of times we want to believe in miracles. God can do the great and the unbelievable. But when someone comes to us and says, you wouldn't believe what God did, we go, oh, they're super spiritualizing it. That couldn't have happened in that way. Or certainly they they got the details wrong. Or or maybe they're reading too much into it. Our, Our culture has kind of played into that a little bit. We've had a little bit too much of the, I saw Jesus in my spaghetti moments, right? Uh, we saw in the grain of wood the face of Christ and all of a sudden all of our problems were taken away. We, we know that's not necessarily miraculous. That is, that is us trying to read into things. However, I believe that there are times that God genuinely performs the miraculous. And especially as aged Christians, people who come to church on Sunday morning, we, we like to push those aside. Now, certainly that's not you, so let's look in Scripture at maybe some other people who would would do similar things and ask if if anybody really feels this way. In John chapter 6, verses 29 through 30, there's some miraculous things that have taken place, and we're going to pick up with these two verses and expand on the context as the sermon goes on. Look in John 6, starting in verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the word of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And the people in verse 30 ask a question. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? It's funny, we we want to believe in miracles so much so that we're always asking God, Will you show me the miraculous? Wouldn't it be cool to see someone risen from the dead? (laughs) Wouldn't it be amazing to to experience a a full, on-the-spot healing? Wouldn't it be great to see God do something that only God could do? And how many times have we asked the question, God, would you show me a sign? Would you perform a miracle? I think sometimes it comes in in this way. 
Lord, if it's really you, would you fill in the blank? (laughs) God, if you really want me to do that, why don't you show me something? Why, Why don't you move something in the room? I can remember being very young in my faith, asking God to to do a miracle. Lord, if it's really you, could you, and I don't remember if this is exactly what I pray, but things of this nature, would you just make the salt shaker wiggle a little bit? That that would make me know that you're really speaking to me, right? Lord, if you really are who you say you are, could you do something cool, right? I want to see a miracle. And this is what the people are asking of Jesus. I think it's okay to to look for a miracle. As a matter of fact, we read in the Old Testament almost this exact thing. God is speaking to a man named Gideon, and Gideon says, Lord, I'm not really sure about your plan. Could you you perform a miraculous feat? And when God does, he says, okay, could you you do it again, but a little bit different? And God does, and and then Gideon still has doubts. Would you show me? Would you show me? And, And I think I find myself like that Old Testament character of Gideon. Lord, if it's really you, show me something cool. I believe wholeheartedly that God does miraculous things. I've heard testimony from from other Christians about how God has done these miraculous works. I can remember being a middle schooler, and there was a a family at our church, a very reputable, not I-see-Jesus-in-spaghetti family, a very grounded, down-to-earth Christian family who, as part of their testimony, uh, talked about being in a boating accident when their kids were younger. And they, they, in the Florida Keys, where I grew up in, in South Florida, they, they hit a, an island and it threw them off the boat onto a mangrove island. And their testimony is our, our youngest, uh, was a, a very young girl, was found up in a tree. And they were worried that she had got propelled up into the tree. And they asked her, how did you get up in the tree? And their testimony was this young girl saying, a couple of angels grabbed me and put me up in that tree. <laughs> now this is a family that wasn't, I, I see the cross and the grain on the door, and I, I all of a sudden believe, this is a very grounded family. They didn't have miraculous testimonies, but this was something they experienced. And I believed it. We want to have these experiences, don't we? God, show us something. But too often, when we hear of the miraculous, we push them aside. There's a testimony of, of, of an individual I led to Christ. And he came and was plugged in and serving the church, and his testimony was, I'd say semi-miraculous, how God spoke to him. In a way that it was very obvious and apparent that, that God got his attention with something out of the blue. And he was in the church, and he was practicing his faith and, and trying to grow, and, and one day he just disappeared. And so I caught up with him a little later, and I said, what, what's going on? What happened? And he said, well, to be honest with you, when I would tell people at church about my testimony and what God did to get my attention... They didn't necessarily say they don't believe me, but they gave me this look that it was just strange and weird and skeptical, and it made me start doubting my own experience. Maybe God didn't really do that. So to be honest with you, I don't know that I believe at all. As far as I know, this young man's not back at church anywhere. Why? Because we as Christians have a tendency to hear of the miraculous and push it aside. Certainly we're not alone, and we're going to look this morning at how God works miracles and hopefully learn what the miracles are that God still does, and one in particular that is life-changing when we experience this miracle. For starters, let's define what a miracle is. If you have your your bulletin, you can jot down some notes. I'll have some of these fill-in-the-blanks up on the screen, or you can jot in your own notebook some, some definitions. I'm going to define miracle this way. This is my definition. God interacting with his creation. That's a miracle. Anytime God does something to interact with his creation, it's miraculous. It's otherworldly. 
Something that science does not do. And so we will define a miracle as any time God gets in the middle of things and interacts. He could do that in a great and powerful way. We read about in the Old Testament when the entire nation of Israel is trying to escape slavery. They come to this large sea and the enemy is following them and they have nowhere to go. And God interacts with his creation and takes the water and opens them up. And they walk across on this dry land. God miraculously intervening, right? That's a miracle. But I think this lends us to another definition of miracle as well, another example. Sometimes God interacts with his creation in a very subtle way. I believe it's a miracle every time we pray for someone to be healed and God answers that prayer. Even, by the way, when it's a doctor or a medicine that's helped heal, we know that God has intervened and worked. We trust that God is performing a miracle. Anytime God interacts with his creation, for this morning's message, I'm defining that as a miracle. Now, we've watered down this word, and that's what makes the miraculous so hard to understand, is we've watered down the word miracle, and we'll use it really to to define things that that are very improbable, but not necessarily impossible, and we'll call it a miracle. We do this in sports all the time, all the time. It's a miraculous shot. It was a miraculous catch. It was a miraculous game. There are a few very famous instances. Maybe you're familiar with with the miracle on ice from 1980 when the the U.S. men's Olympic team beat the USSR in the the game that would decide the gold medal. It was a a miraculous event. Of course, you you can hear the announcer still making his call if you've seen replays. Do you believe in miracles, right? Yes, Yes, right? (laughs) This wasn't God interacting. This was something highly improbable almost impossible that that was pulled off there's another illustration in the year 2000 it's called the uh uh, the music city miracle this was a playoff game which the tennessee titans were playing the buffalo bills and uh, they were about out of time there was a kickoff to be done and, and after the kickoff if they didn't score on the kickoff the game was over and so they had a series of lateral passes and here's the last one tight end not a quarterback a tight end throws the ball debatably backwards to another player And he takes it, runs, and scores a touchdown. The Tennessee Titans win the playoff game. Called the Music City Miracle. There was no way that could happen. And what do you know? They pulled it off. Well, of course, I can't show you some sports clips without telling you about Kentucky's own miracle. The (laughs) miracle in Mardi Gras. Back in the early 90s, Kentucky was down by 31 points to LSU in the second half and staged the largest road comeback in college basketball history. Amen. Praise the Lord. And of course, we dub it the miracle in Mardi Gras. We do this all the time with with instances where things are highly unlikely and and yet they get pulled off and so we call it a miracle. When my wife and I have heated discussions, is that fair to call them? And I happen to be right. We label that a miracle, right? (laughs) Highly improbable. And yet somehow, one in a million, it happened. This morning, I don't want to use this watered-down definition of a miracle. I want to talk specifically about God interacting with his creation. And this isn't just a definition that I've come up with. I did write the words down, but this is something I derive of what a miracle really is supposed to be. If you look in Oxford's dictionary, they'll define it almost the exact same way with a lot more words. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws 
and is therefore considered to be the work of divine agency. By the way, I like this definition more than anything because the secular Oxford Dictionary says the only way I can define a miracle is by attributing it to God. It has to be divine agency. It's what a miracle is. It's God working in his creation. Not man working improbably in his creation, but God interacting and him doing things that only God can do. It's really important that as we look at the context of John chapter 6, Jesus wants to clarify that a miracle is from God, not from man. So in John chapter 6, what's going on is the people are asking a series of questions. Jesus actually just fed 5,000 people miraculously, and this large crowd follows because I think they're Baptist in nature and they're hungry. They want another meal. And so they all show up, and they're wanting to eat, and they say, if you are really, really someone who is a prophet, we need a sign. And then they, they, they say this. They say, if you're really a prophet, you remind me of an Old Testament prophet. His name was Moses, and he had a sign for us. And that's why in verses 30 and 31, they, they say to him, what sign do you do? Right? Where's your sign that you're a prophet that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then they, they go on to, to explain. In the Old Testament, our fathers ate the manna. That's a, a bread that fell in the wilderness. As it is written, he, Moses, gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, if you are really a miracle worker, show us a sign, right? Show us, just like Moses gave us manna, you give us some more of that good bread you fed us yesterday. Jesus is quick to correct them, really fast, clarifying that that miracles are not from man. He says in verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Jesus wants to make it very clear. A miracle is not coming from human points of view. The miraculous happens when God interacts with his creation. So that's how we're going to define miracle. Does he still interact with his creation? Does God want to get involved in your life today? Is he still working and moving, not just doing the improbable, but doing what we would say is truly impossible? Can God do what only God can do? Well, Jesus had several reasons why he he performed miracles. And you can read about countless miracles all throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. And Jesus is constantly performing miracles. Raising people from the dead. Healing people who are sick. Making blind people see. He's doing these miraculous things with, with meaning and with purpose. One of those meanings and purpose is just because he cares for people. As a matter of fact, before he feeds those 5,000, it says Jesus had compassion on them. He just loves people. He wants to give them good things. Sir, sometimes he performs a miracle just out of compassion and genuine love. There are other times that, that God performs miracles because he wants to display his might and his power. He wants people to know that only he can do this. So when someone has is, is died and he raises them from the dead, He's saying, nobody else could raise someone from the dead, but but to show you that I'm God, let me show you my power and my might. You know why I think often Jesus performed miracles and still does today? Is he wants us to see his compassion, his love for us. He wants us to see his power and his might and his ability to save, and he wants it to push us towards faith in him. The whole purpose of miracles then is, is we would see God loves us, And he's able to care for us. 
If we see that God loves us and is able to care for us, shouldn't that spur us on to put our faith and trust in Him? The problem is, you can write this down, miracles cannot force faith. Well, they, they point us in the right direction. They, they try to, to get us to where God wants us to be, but, but ultimately seeing a miracle does not save anyone. But what we find is a lot of times, in spite of the miracles, we're still in rejection mode. God reveals His power, His strength, His love, His kindness, and yet we're still looking for something else. I told you we look at the context. We're not going to read all of John 5 and 6. They're long chapters. I'd encourage you to read several of the miracles that take place. At the beginning of chapter 5, uh, we see Jesus is down by, uh, it's called a pool or a bath. It's basically a place where people would come, like almost like a spa. Some people would come to get clean. Other people thought it had some, some healing, supernatural powers. And, and while Jesus is down there, he sees this crippled man. And this crippled man is hoping to be healed by this bath or this spring, and and it's not healed him yet. And so Jesus, again with compassion and with might, goes to him in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. The people see this miracle. This is a crowded area, and and they've seen this crippled man, and with their own eyes, they visually see the man stand up, take his mat, and walk. Miracle takes place. We read in in chapter 6, verse 2, that that the people remembered his miracles. It tells us in in verse 2 of chapter 6, a large crowd was following him precisely because they saw the sign that he was doing on the sick. They saw that he could heal people. They, they visually watched the miraculous happen, and people flocked and wanted to know more. They wanted to see another sign. People witnessed these miracles. So what we have then following is this large crowd gathering. We talked about Jesus uh, feeding 5,000 individuals, right? This large crowd, it says 5,000 men, in addition to the women and children. Some estimates are that there were actually 20,000 people sitting down there. And Jesus says, I've got some fish and some bread that this young man donated to us. Why don't you disciples go and start divvying it up among the crowd? What we find in verse 11 of John chapter 6 is that he takes the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed to them, to those who were seated, as also the fish, as much as they wanted. We think of a few fish and some bread. We think Jesus must have given them less than a communion cracker, right? They all ate all that they wanted off of this small amount. Jesus performs this miracle, and the people see it. Maybe as many as 20,000 individuals witness the miracle. They continue on, and and what we see is Jesus performing a miracle just for his disciples. They get tired, and and they're weary. They've been traveling a lot in, in the last few verses or last few chapters, and so they get in a boat, and all the disciples cross. Jesus doesn't get in the boat with them. The disciples cross, and this this storm comes on, and the disciples are afraid. And so what we see is is Jesus, without a boat, going to comfort them. That's why we read in John 6, 19, when they'd rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So this is another miracle that Jesus shows to his disciples, right? I, I can come out three or four miles on the water walking, not riding a boat, and coming to 
to help you in your time of need. In case you're wondering, well, this was just for the disciples. The crowd certainly didn't see it. I'll say that's not true. The crowds figured out something in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but the disciples had gone away alone. They realized that Jesus was not in the boat, and yet he was still gone and on the other side of the sea. You had to figure, they sat there and went, how did he get there? Did he swim? He can't swim across that, miles and miles. It's a miracle. Jesus is not here. Obviously, the crowds have witnessed that Jesus has done the miraculous. So that's why it's so frustrating that they come and finally find Jesus and they, they ask him, what sign are you going to perform? You figure Jesus is tired, right? Healing the, the lame is not enough for you. Healing the sick is not enough for you. Feeding you is not enough. Walking on water is not enough. So Jesus tells them in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 26, you're seeking me because, uh, or not because you saw signs, but because you, you're hungry still. You don't care about the miracle. You just care about yourself and your stomach. The problem is we, we witness miracles all the time. We see God do mighty things and we, we turn a blind eye to them. Lord, what have you done for me lately? Can you fix my problem in this moment the way I want you to fix it? Would you perform another sign? The blessings you've given me are not enough we read in verse 30 our, our initial verse they said to him what sign do you do that we may see and believe you what work do you perform i've got to think jesus is going you didn't believe the last miracle what makes me think you're going to believe this one it's exactly what we find happening towards the the end of john actually right in the middle but the end of his ministry in in john chapter 12 Jesus has performed miracles for the first 11 chapters, 12 chapters. As a matter of fact, in chapter 12, we, we see some specific miracles he performs. The people worship him because he's coming into Jerusalem, and, and they're all excited that the, the healer has come, and they're laying down palm branches and shouting Hosanna, and, and everything's going great, but they still don't get it. And one of the most depressing verses in all of John is John 12, 37. Though, they had done, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him i wonder if we can take inventory of the times that god has worked in our lives we've seen god's hand interacting and doing things that only god can do yet we still sit here and we still don't believe him fully lord would you show me something else would you give me another sign would you do something miraculous miracles certainly point us towards faith but they cannot save you they do not force you to have faith in Christ. So what sort of miracles does God want to do today? I, I'm not, and we're not. If you're a guest this morning, we're not a church that has quote-unquote healing services where people come up and we lay hands and you fall back and everyone faints and we run around and, and praise the Lord. And We're not that type of church. As a matter of fact, I, I would caution you on some of those things, not all of them, but, but some of those things that are for, for theater and, and for show. Um, certainly there are some genuine healings that take place, but, but really what we believe is that God does interact in our lives in specific ways, sometimes in crazy, healing, miraculous ways, and sometimes in the simple things of life. What miracle does God want to do in your life today? How does God want to interact in your life today? What does God want to do? What sign could he perform for you to open your eyes 
and, and let you see his compassion. And let you see his strength and his ability and push you to put your faith and trust in him. I believe the greatest miracle that God does today is the work of salvation. Salvation is the greatest miracle that we have. That God would come down to earth in the flesh. Miracle in and of itself. That he would would live a life being tempted in every way that we are, yet never sin. Another miracle in and of itself. That he would willingly, compassionately, take our sins away. Take our punishment on the cross. A miracle in and of itself. That he would show his power and his might and his glory by overcoming death and raising to life again, conquering sin, a miracle in and of itself. All packaged together for the purpose that you would know him. You would have a relationship with him. God interacting through his spirit to tug on your heart and to say, I love you and I have a better life for you. This is salvation and the greatest miracle that we receive. Jesus makes it very clear to the crowds. They're asking, will you feed us? Show us a a tangible miracle. Give us something else to eat. Give us this bread from heaven. And Jesus wants to make it clear. It's not a physical bread you need. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not talking about a physical hunger and a physical thirst. Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I will take care of a greater need than your stomach. I could take care of your soul. Jesus says, listen to this miracle. If you come to me, you'll never be in want again. There will come a day when I fill your stomach. There will come a day when I quench your thirst. But more importantly, there will come a day when I can forgive your sins fully. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I'm the miracle you're looking for. What's sad to me and what's unfortunate is we can hear these miraculous words. Know the salvation of Christ that He wants to forgive your sin because He loves you. He has a power and ability to save you. That we could see the miracle of salvation and yet be just like the individuals in the next verse. John 6, 36. Jesus says, I I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This morning, there's a miracle before us. The saving work of Jesus Christ. His interaction in our hearts. that, That he would come to earth for the purpose of saving our sins. The definition of a miracle is God interacting with his creation. This is what it is. This work of salvation. The Spirit stirring your heart. I wonder this morning if, if you would embrace the greatest miracle that Jesus has ever, ever given. If you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and guide your life. That He would make you a new creation. So the question this morning as we, we look at the miracle of salvation is, would you believe a miracle?